You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. I hope you guys are feeling well this morning as Victoria kind of hit it. I'm kind of fighting a little sickness here, so just kind of bear with me in my voice. I lost it uh, almost through the first service. Hopefully that won't happen this service, so we're going to try to make it through. Hey, if you're new, my name is Marco, and I am the lead pastor here. So honored that you decide to worship with us, you guys. Uh, thank you for making Radiant a part of your weekend. If you're watching online, hello to you. Make sure you share this video on your new stream. Help us get the word out. It really means a lot to us. Well, today, listen, we're beginning. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord because we're beginning a brand new message series, a five-part message series entitled, God Has a Name. God has a name. I don't know if you realize this, but it's true. God has a name, and it's not God, actually, okay? And when we know God's name, it helps us to answer this question, who is God? Who is God? Because a lot of people have all kinds of thoughts and ideas and uh, just different perceptions of who God is, but it doesn't mean that we're all right. It doesn't mean that every person, could it be that every person is right about who God is? No, it's, it's not, certainly, right? We must look at who God himself reveals himself to us to be. And so, listen, in this series, we're going to spend five weeks on a verse in Scripture, a couple of verses in Scripture, from Exodus chapter 34, Verses 6 and 7. And by the way, it's the most quoted passage in Scripture. It's powerful. And we're going to learn a little bit about who God is, of course. And the thing and the idea is, is this, is that when you know someone's name, it helps us to know who you are, right? In this case, the Lord proclaims his name to Moses so that Moses can get to know him. But even more importantly, so that we can get to know who God is, how to relate to him. And how, he wants us to re- and how he wants to relate to us. And so uh, there's a book I've been reading um, by the same name, God Has a Name, by John Mark Comer. You can see it behind me. You might want to pick this up if you'd like to. But it's been incredibly helpful for me, full of great, great insights. John Mark Comer in his book goes into a lot more depth than I will be able to get into in just five weeks. Uh, but you might hear me quote from this and whatnot, but you might want to pick it up yourself. Well, listen, with that in mind, let's take a few moments, let's pray together, and then we're going to go ahead into the rest of our message for today. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for just your presence here among us, God. We thank you um, just for what you're doing in the lives of your people here at Radiant Church, Lord, and we just ask you to draw near to us, Lord. We want to see you. We want to know you, God. That's the single most important thing of our lives, God, is to know you, God. We want to know you. We don't want to just go through some sort of religious exercise or kind of going through the motions. God, we want to know you, to have an encounter with you. And so, Lord, today we pray that you would do the work that your spirit can only do, that you would go before me and you would unlock deaf ears in this place, that you would open some of our eyes that have been blinded by the enemy, God, and that you would soften our hearts, not to resist the message, message, not to resist this church service, but God, that we'd have open hearts to you, Lord. Some of our hearts 
have been hardened because people have let us down, Lord. And so, God, would you soften hearts this morning? Would you heal lives? Would you restore that which has been broken, Lord? Lord, do that here in your presence, we pray, God. We thank you for it, and we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, every time someone reveals their name to you, you begin to learn more about that person. Now, you may not know this, but my full name is this, Marco Antonio Salazar. Now, I did a little bit of research on Google because Google knows everything, right? It's sarcasm. And here's what I discovered. I discovered a few things. Number one, Marco is a very masculine name. And I was like, okay, that's good, right? Antonio, um, well, actually, let me back up. Marco is a masculine name. It, um, it's a strong name. It has origins, Spanish origins, Italian origins. You may have already figured that out. Antonio uh, means invaluable, priceless, uh, floral even, kind of surprising there. So I discovered that basically, apparently, I'm a strong, priceless flower, okay? <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that. May need some therapy going into week number two of our service. Whatever's the deal, okay? My point is this, is that when you learn someone's name, you begin to learn more about who they are, right? This is why names are so important. Now, my, my kids at home, they don't call me my full name. I wouldn't allow them to do that anyways, right? They call me what? They call me daddy, okay? They call me daddy. That's, that's, that's a name that I go by to my kids. Some of you call me Marco. Some of you call me Pastor Marco. And again, these names tell you a little bit about me, about who I am, about what I do, about where I come from, right? Even what I'm like and maybe even what I like, okay? So a name, there's so much in a name. What about nicknames? I had some nicknames growing up. Anyone have nicknames growing up or Maybe just, you know, a few decades ago, you had some nicknames, some of, them, some of the nicknames you can't repeat in church, but you know what I'm saying? Um, my name spells, has the initials M-A-S, and that spells out the word mas. It's the Spanish word for more. So I had a group of friends in high school who would call me mas, okay? Um, I had a crush on a girl named Jasmine in the 11th grade, so I had a bunch of friends who would call me, called me Aladdin for that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then I had other friends, um, because of my last name, Salazar, they would call me Salad Bar. Now, now you can't call me that, okay? So don't, don't call me that. Okay, you can't call me that. So, but those are nicknames, nicknames that I had growing up, and those were ways that, listen, my friends would call me names. My friends would call me to what? To, to relate to me. It was kind of like, you know, it was our thing. And, and only certain people could call me those names, and, and you know what I mean. You have certain friends that can call you, you know, names, and you do this with your spouse, you do, you know, you call your spouse honey, okay, sweetie, uh, hey love, hey bae, whatever it is, right? You use terms, terms of endearment that only your spouse can call you, and can, only you can use for your spouse, and those names are important, why? Because they help you to relate to one another, so there's so much that goes really into uh, a name, Think about biblical times and ancient history here. Uh, names also told us, you know, more about a person, where they came from. Here's an example. 
Simon Bar-Jonah. Ever heard of that name? Simon, son of Jonah is what that means. So this name is telling us this. It told about Simon's lineage, his heritage, and his background. God has a name. And it's important that we know it, okay? It's important that we hear his name, that we say his name. And when we know his name, we can know what he's like. We can know how to relate to him and how he wants to relate to us. Now, there's one big idea that we will cover in the next five weeks. It's this. God's name shows us who he is, how he relates to us, and how we relate to him. God's name shows us who he is, how he relates to us, and how we can begin to relate to him, right? It's important to know God's name. Now, here's what I want to do. We're going to go into Exodus 33 in a few more moments, but I want to give some proper context here. So bear with me. You may not know the story. Some of you do do know the story, but in Exodus Chapter 33, in that whole book that we call Exodus, we know that God's people were in Egypt and they were held in captivity. Pharaoh was this tyrant of a leader. He was a taskmaster. And of course, God hears the plight of his, sees the plight of his people, hears their pleas. And God goes to Moses and says, Moses, you're going to be my ambassador. You're going to go on my behalf and you're going to set the people free. You're going to lead them out of their slavery, out of their captivity. And you're going to bring them into a land, a land that I have for them, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And so Moses says yes to this invitation that God gives him. God then sends ten plagues onto Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh surrenders. He brings him to his knees and he lets the people go. And so Moses is leading the charge and the people are heading through the Red Sea. And God miraculously splits the Red Sea. It's a miracle. It's Just amazing. And of course, right behind them, though, is the Egyptian army. And they're fast on the heels of the Israelites. They make it all the way through onto the other side. And then the Egyptian army is in the midst of the water. And God closes back the sea, leading to the decisive victory of God's people. What an incredible story that we read about in the book of Exodus. They make it to the other side. And remember, God has this piece of land for them. It's Canaan. God says, I'm going to bring you into this land. And there's a journey that takes place in the book of Exodus. And we can read about it in the Old Testament yourself. Now, on the way to Canaan, on the way to this land, Moses, they stop at a mountain. It's Mount Sinai. You might remember this. Moses goes all the way to the top of Mount Sinai. And there he begins to have a conversation with God. Moses is on the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, and God begins to just outline, Moses, this is what it means to follow me. The very hand of God, God just really chisels out the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets. This is incredible. Now, meanwhile, Moses is on top of the mountain. He's having an awesome day, right, just hanging out with God. The bottom of the mountain are the Israelites, and they're like, okay, like, where's Moses? He's been gone for a while, and we're getting tired. We're getting restless, and we're getting weary, and we want to see God. We want to worship something. 
Because the idea is this, is that we were all created, all of us, no matter where you come from, no matter what religious background, whether you're here and you don't believe in God or you do believe in God, whatever your background is, we're all created to worship something or someone. Your heart, your soul is yearning for something to worship. And when people don't worship God, they'll worship something else. Drugs, alcohol, sex, government, you name it, right? And so the people want something to worship. So here's what they do. They go to Moses' brother, Aaron, and they have this bright idea. But it's not a bright idea. It's very stupid, actually. And say, they say, Aaron, we want to worship something. Can you make us something? Aaron's like, okay, I'm your man. Bring me all your jewelry. Bring me all your gold. And Aaron melts down all of the gold that's brought to him. He melts it down, and he casts an idol in the shape of a what, church? Of a calf. It's a golden calf. This is what Aaron does with his spare time. I mean, come on, Aaron. Don't you have anything else to do, right? So he makes this golden calf for the people. And before you know it, the people at the bottom of the mountain are worshiping. They're bowing down to this golden image. Now, it catches God's attention. And so God's like, you better get down there, Moses, because your people are going cray-cray, right? They're going crazy. And they've grown corrupt. And they are worshiping an idol. And so, listen, Moses is going to go down the mountain. He's going to figure out what in the world is going on. But when God finds out, he's furious. He is so angry. I mean, God is so ticked. God's like, I'm done. I'm going to wipe these people out. Moses, it's just you and me, homie. We're going to start over, and we're going to build a nation with you. And Moses is like, whoa, whoa, time out, God, time out. No, don't do it. God, remember, remember what you said to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Remember how you promised them you would bring them out of the land or bring them out of slavery into a land. God, remember, relent from your anger. God, you don't want people to say he brought them out of Egypt just to kill them, do you? And God's like, well, I guess you're right. And here's what happens. God relents from his anger. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe listens to Moses. And he relents from his anger. But Moses, on the other hand, does not relent from his anger. Moses, I can just see Moses just running down the hill, just, just angry. And what does he do with the two stone tablets? Just like a WWE entrance. Breaks them both, right? He's so angry. He sees the golden calf. And can you just picture this with me? I mean, come on. This is amazing, you guys. The stories in the Bible are so incredible. Sometimes we read them and we don't think about them. But think about this. Moses, can you see Moses picking up the golden calf? Ah, what are you doing? Just picks it up, chucks it into the fire, burns that thing bad down to the ground. He burns it into powder. Then he takes the powder. He puts it in the water. And he says, you're going to drink the water. And they drink it. Moses is hardcore. I love that. I know. That's something I would do probably. Seriously. He makes them drink the water. Yeah, I would totally do that. He makes them drink the water so they can taste the bitterness of their idolatry. Moses is like, how could you do Aaron? Just like slaps him across the face probably when he sees him. Like, what are you doing, bro? He then goes back up. He meets with God in light of all the chaos. He's coming back down. 
He's getting nervous about this assignment, this leadership position that God has given him. And the Lord basically says, listen, I, I want you to go and you're going you're gonna to come back up the mountain. You're going to bring two more stone tablets. They're having this kind of conversation. But really, um, Moses is saying, you know, God, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't send us. Okay? Your presence doesn't go. Don't send us. And I want you to notice how the Lord responds to Moses, but Moses makes this bold request here. This is Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 20. It says this, Then Moses said, this is the conversation now he's having with God, and leave this verse up here for just a few moments. Then Moses said, Show me your glory. What a bold request. God, I want to see your weightiness. I want to see your majesty. I want to see... Just your presence in its fullness. God, I want to encounter who you are. Come on. God, bring it on. I'm here. I want to see you. I really want to see you for who you are, God. I want to see how magnificent you are, how glorious, how beautiful, how, uh, how, how strong you truly are. God, I want to know you. I want to see your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So God's like, listen, you can't see my face, Moses. The reason why you can't see my face is because I'm pure light, I am righteous, I am completely holy, and if you were to see me face to face, you would die. I can't show you my face, Moses, but what I'll do is this, I'll let my goodness pass over you, I'll show you my backside, okay, I'll proclaim my name in your presence, so God commands Moses to chisel out two more stone tablets because, remember, he broke the first two. So uh, he's going to come up early the next morning to Mount Sinai. And this brings us to our two key verses. Now, to give us some context, though, I'm going to start in verse number 4. So we're going to be in Exodus 34 now, verses 4 through 7. Here's what it says. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord commanded him. And he carried two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, stood there with him, and proclaimed his name. The Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So for the next five weeks, we're going to focus our time on verses 6 in seven, just those two verses, and we're going to even talk about verse seven, which is somewhat difficult for us to read, but it's not quite what you think it means when you read verse number seven. We'll unpack that, but it is so rich. It is so key 
for us to understand the character of who God is. Well, today we're going to camp out on God's name. And here it is. The Lord, the Lord. That's what you see in your Bibles. That's what I see in my Bible, at least. And maybe you're wondering, well, okay, (laughs) hold on. I, I, I don't see God's name here. Is God's name the Lord? Well, not quite, okay? If you're looking at the original Hebrew language, you'll see something like this, okay? That's what you'll see in the original Hebrew. Now, can you read that? No, I can't either, right? Okay, so let's go back to the English and translate that into the English, okay? If you translate it into English, here's what you'll see. Yahweh, Yahweh. This is God's covenant name, okay? But if you see it actually in the original Hebrew, here's the thing, though. In the original Hebrew, they wouldn't render, or they would only render the consonants and not the vowels. And the reason they did this was because it was reverence, out of reverence for God. God's name was so holy. It was to be revered that they didn't even want to say the complete name. So this is what you would see, actually. Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H. Now, scholars call this the tetragrammaton. Pastor Sonny kind of alluded to this last week. And when you see uh, in your English Bibles, when you see the Lord, when you see God's covenant name, it's different than other times. And here's how it's different. When you see God's covenant name, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's all caps. Sometimes you see Lord, but it's capital L, and then it's small O, small R, right, small D. But God's covenant name, you'll see it in all caps. And when you see it in your English Bibles, in all capitals, what you're seeing is God's covenant name, Yahweh. So God comes to Moses and says, Yahweh, Yahweh. He's telling him his name. And then he's beginning to tell Moses about all of his attributes. It's really incredible, okay? God starts with his character. God's proclaiming his name, and then he talks about who he is so that Moses could get this intimate view of truly who God is. Now, here's the big idea I want to communicate this morning. It's this. is that God tells us his name so that we can live in a relationship with him. It's simple. For some of you, it's too simple. But let me explain. Leave that up there. God tells us his name so that we can live in relationship with him. Some of you, listen... When you read this, your mind actually goes somewhere else. Some of you know God in a different way. You may know God as this. God tells us his name so that we can live to worship him, which is correct. It's very correct. But it's not primarily the reason that God reveals his name to us, okay? Um, For some of you, maybe when you look at that, maybe you're actually thinking more like this. God tells us his name so that we can fear him. Okay, that's correct as well. We should fear him. He's, he's God. We're not, right? We're here on earth. He's in heaven. So we should fear him. But that's primarily not the reason why God tells us his name. I found that a lot of Christians actually don't actually know this. They're, they haven't really embraced this, this idea that God tells us his name so that we can live in what? In relationship with him. Relationship. So that we can know him. That we can know him as our Heavenly Father, so that we might be his sons and daughters here on the earth. Some of you, you, you may know 
you may think of this sentence, and what you're seeing is this. God tells us his name so that we can have a religion with him. Now, I love, I love, um, I grew up Catholic, if you didn't know that, and I love my Catholic brothers and sisters, no offense to any of you, but we've, we've had a lot of Catholics come to Radiant Church, and they've, they've kind of turned into Protestants, and so, um, but maybe you come from a very religious background. I'm not trying to offend anyone unnecessarily. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But I am trying to say you know more of a, a religious set of rules and rituals and standards and things like how you abide and what you do when and when you stand up, when you sit down and when you go here, when you go there. And that's all you've known about God for the whole, your whole life. And listen, and that can be beautiful. I'm not trying to rag on that. But listen, so, some of us in our city, listen, only know God by religion. And we don't know him that we can be in a relationship with him, that we can know him and that he knows us. We know what to say. We know what to do. You know the ritual. You know when to go there. You know when to sit, when to stand, when to sing, when not to sing. You know those things, but do you know him? Right, so I've just discovered this, like living in Bay City, there's like a lot of Catholic churches, and again, and, and like a lot of religiosity happening in our city. And, 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 and y'all, that's a, that's a fake, that's a counterfeit for the real thing. The real thing is what is relationship with him. Because the idea is that you can do all those things and be spiritually dead on the inside. You can do the right things. You can kneel. You can bow. You can dance. You can, whatever it is, right? You can light the candle. You can pray to her, pray to him. But on the inside, be spiritually dead. Because the idea is, is that God tells us his name so that we can live in what? In relationship with him. He wants to be in relationship with you. And some of you, I just feel the Holy Spirit. I'm going to preach for a moment. I just feel the Holy Spirit saying, some of you are thinking, why would he want me? I'm used. I got a bunch of baggage. Terrible. Family is dysfunctional. My parents are divorced. Drug addiction in my house. Prostitutes that stop by. Drug dealers that are my friends. Why would God want anything to do with me? I'm gross. I don't even like myself. The idea is this. No. There's one who came for you. His name is Jesus. He gave his life for you. God found you so precious, so beautiful, so lovely in his eyes that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. And now, because of that, listen, you can live in relationship with the God of the universe. That's right. So when God comes to Moses' church, he's not just, you know, telling him, like, hey, this is my name. Okay, let's keep going. God wants to be in relationship with Moses. He wants Moses to know him more than anything. I want to give you a little bit of a brief history now of sort of names when it comes to God of the Bible. I'll make it really quick because we don't have, we don't have two hours, okay? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. We got Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Remember this. And uh, remember God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and they knew him. He knew them. There was intimacy there in that relationship. Adam and Eve rebelled against that, remember? They took up the fruit. God did not give up on humanity, though. God had a purpose. God had a plan already in process. Fast forward to Abram, okay? He comes to Abram, and he reveals himself to Abram, okay? But he doesn't reveal his covenant name. He reveals himself as this, El Shaddai, 
God Almighty. Okay? This is not his covenant name, but he does reveal himself to Abram this way. El Shaddai. El. I want you to notice that, that word, El. In the Canaanite language, El meant God. Okay? And so, in ancient Near East history, many people would know El as God or the gods. And this was one way, listen, that God was communicating to Abram. Listen, Abram, I know you know the gods. I know you've heard of the gods. But I just want you to know, I'm above every god. I'm God Almighty. I'm God Supreme. Right? I have infinitely greater power than all those little G gods that you know and you've heard of uh, in the surrounding cultures. So he comes to Abram and he says, El Shaddai. Right? And listen, you'll hear this word El in names like Samuel, Daniel, and then what? Emmanuel. God with us. And again, God is revealing himself to Abram and saying, Abram, I am God most high. You've heard all the other gods, and that's nice, but they're nothing compared to me. I can smash them with one word. I am God almighty. Abram, come follow me. I'm going to make you into a great nation, and through you the nations will be blessed. What does Abram say? He says, that, yes, he follows God on this journey. Fast forward all the way to Exodus chapter 3, where God calls Moses from what? A burning bush. Moses notices that the bush is not consumed by the fire. So, of course, he's wondering what's going on. He approaches the burning bush, and there God gives him an assignment to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. This is Exodus 3.13. It says this, Moses said to God, and notice the conversation. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Pause there. Notice that. They want to know what his name is. What is his name? You see how important the name is? What is his name? And Moses is wondering, like, what should I tell them then, God? What should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. But God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, he says. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is really powerful. Because if you look at the phrase, I am who I am, essentially, without getting into all the semantics of the Hebrew and whatnot, it's actually equivalent to Yahweh, right? The I am equals Yahweh. It has to do with the tenses and, and, and the way that the verb is used, and it would be confusing for me to explain it all to you. But trust me on this. The I am equals Yahweh. It's God saying this, I'm the self-existent God. His name tells something about who he is. The self-existent, eternal, never-changing God. It's like God is saying this, um, I am gracious always. I'm loving always. I'm compassionate always. I'm slow to anger always, right? So forth and so on. This eternal, self-existent God. Remember what happens in Exodus 34, though. Moses is not able to see God's face because he says, if you see my face, you're going to die. No one can see my face. 
But in Jesus, here's what happens. God puts on flesh. In Jesus, God comes to the earth. Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead, is what Paul writes about. He's the fullness of God's glory. This is what John writes about in the New Testament in the beginning of his gospel. So we're going to put some pieces together now. I'm doing a lot of work in a short amount of time. John 1, 1 through 3. Here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him Nothing was made that has been made. I want you to notice this John's language a little bit for just a few moments, even in the English. He says, in the beginning. Does it sound familiar? It should sound familiar. Because it goes back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is trying to put pieces together for us. He's pointing to the Word. And the Word, of course, is Jesus. He's pointing that Jesus was present In Genesis 1-1, that through Jesus all things were made. So in Jewish ears, John is putting pieces together between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's making these connections. The one that we've read about, the one that we've written about here is in Jesus. And then he says this in John 1-14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, now what is John doing? All of John's language harkens back to Exodus 34. Now, I didn't realize this until I learned this, but all of John's language here harkens back to Exodus 34. Remember the conversation, right? Let me give you some examples. When it says this, that he made his dwelling among us, literally it means this, that he pitched his tabernacle among us. He's referring to the tabernacle that was at the bottom or the base of the Mount Sinai. When he says we have seen his glory, what is John saying? He's referring to the glory that was at the top of Mount Sinai, the cloud where Moses would meet with God. And even when he says he came grace and truth, it's actually this this idea, it's stealing from the faithfulness uh, even, even that phrase, grace and truth, is a way to speak of God in Exodus 34. And what is John doing? John's ripping off his language from the book of Exodus to retell the Sinai story centered around who? Jesus. He's making the point that in Jesus, we see creator, the creator God's glory. His presence and his beauty like we've never seen before. In Jesus, listen, Yahweh, the Lord, becomes a human being. That's what John is trying to say to us. This is brilliant. Jesus also uses the same language, though. If you weren't convinced then of that, listen, Jesus uses the same language to to communicate that he's the the eternal, self-existent God. Remember in Exodus chapter 3, I am who I am. What does Jesus say? Jesus says things like this, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. These aren't just random statements that Jesus is making up or, or using. 
All of these statements are used on purpose to point that he himself is the existent, the ever-existent, eternal God. Even in one conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, they're, like, they're pushing back on Jesus, they're challenging Jesus. Jesus says perhaps one of the most controversial things in all of the New Testament. Here's what it says. It's John chapter 8, 58 and 59. He says this, Very truly I tell you, <clears throat> Jesus said, Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. And then notice the, re- the, the reaction. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. They want to kill Jesus. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Why are they going to kill him? Because he's claiming to be the self-existent, eternal God. They're thinking, you don't know who Abraham is. You're only in your 30s. What do you know? You were around when Abraham was around. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, Yahweh, the Lord, that's me. And for that, listen, in their ears, what do they hear? It's blasphemy. They're like, you're, you, you're crazy. You can't be God. Like, we're going to murder you because of this. When you see Jesus, when I see Jesus, when we see Jesus, what do we do? What do we see? We see the Lord. We see the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. We see the Lord. In ancient Christianity, before you were baptized, you would have to say a phrase. You, the phrase was this, Jesus is Lord. Now, big deal, right? Some of you are like, okay, I've heard that before. Well, it was actually a huge deal. It was in direct opposition. It was a rebuttal to the very popular Roman saying, what? Caesar is Lord. Now, when you heard that saying, Caesar is Lord, what did it mean? It meant this. It meant Caesar has divine-like qualities. Caesar is the son of God. In fact, that was written on the coin. Caesar is the supreme deity. And the Christians came onto the scene, and as they were being baptized, they would say, Jesus is Lord. They would say, they would say no, we're correcting this. Caesar is not divine. Jesus is divine. Caesar is not the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. Caesar is not the supreme being. Jesus is the supreme being. Jesus is Lord. It was actually a very pointed political statement in that day to say that Jesus is Lord. It meant that you were in direct opposition of the empire. And Christians gladly did it, gladly said it, even though it meant their death. Jesus is Lord is not a cute bumper sticker. It's not a cute cliche. It's not a cute Christianese saying. Listen, it has massive implications for us as believers today. Jesus is Lord Caesar is not. What does this all mean for all of us? Here's what it means for us. It reminds us, listen, that God is a person. I want to be real clear here. It reminds us that God is a person. He's not some force way out there, okay? He's not a force. Let me just say this very clearly so you understand me. God is not the universe, and the universe is not God, and the universe is not part of God's being and nature, okay? I want to be real clear because I know in some of our circles there's a lot of pseudo 
Christianity out there that sounds a little bit more like paganism, if, you can, if we can be honest. Okay? These ideas have become increasingly popular in the West in the last several years. One of the ideas is this, is pantheism. Right? It's the belief that God and his creation is synonymous. Okay? That leads us to another belief, and that's panentheism. Panentheism is this, the belief that while God transcends creation, the created universe exists in God and is a part of God's being, okay? But that's not true. So pantheism is more like Hinduism, okay? Panentheism, these are more like Middle Eastern religions. These are not Christianity. I want to be real clear. I want us to be real clear God is a person. God has a name. God has a will. God has emotions. God has a heart. He's not an object that we just sort of, you know, look at the sky and it's kind of over there, over there maybe. I don't, I don't, God's in the tree. Everything is God. No, 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 no. That's not Christianity, okay? You see, in each of these ideas, the distinction between God and creation is blurred or outright denied. And I want to remind you, God sits on top of his creation. God is distinct from his creation. In fact, the scripture tells us that God spoke and the universe came to be. He spoke it. And the reason why I feel like this is so important, especially for our day and age, you guys, um, is because of so much pseudo-Christianity on TikTok and whatnot, Right? It's like, and I, and I, <laughs> I have some friends, um, I was just this week I was talking to, and I love them, and they're great people, I, I really do love them, they're awesome, but they're like, hey, I was like, you know, asking the universe, and I'm like, I don't, bro, I'm not sure what that means, like, oh, you know, hey, today I said a little prayer to the universe, hey, today I'm asking for light from the universe, and I'm like, okay, like, that, that's cool, but that's not Christianity, just so you know, like, that's, that's something else, right, and again, God is distinct from his creation. He's not the universe, and the universe is not part of his nature. God spoke the universe into existence. He sits above it, right? Those two things are distinct, and God is powerful. And listen, I know that you can, you can say a prayer to the universe, but just don't expect much in return, okay? Just don't expect much in return. Now, I love you. I don't hate you. That's why I say this, because I love you. I don't think the universe is going to give you jack, okay? So, so just, 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 rearrange your prayers to the Lord who sits above the universe, to the Lord who spoke it into existence. He's so much more powerful. He's where you're going to find your hope in. He's where you're going to find all your deepest desires satisfied. He's where you're going to find your longings, your deep longings satisfied. It's in him. You can know him. He's a person, right? You can't know the universe, okay? You can't. It's just too big anyways, right? So you can't. But you can know God, because he's a person. His name is Yahweh. He has a personality. He's personable. He wants to be in a relationship with you. Okay. So what does that mean as we close out today? So God's a person. Big deal, Marco. I knew that. I'm, I'm a brilliant theologian in my own right. Maybe you're thinking. There's two things that you need to know before we wrap up. God's a person. It means this. He invites and he responds. He invites and he responds. He invites and he responds. Let's talk about the first one. He invites. 
He calls out to you because he's a person who knows you personally. And so this morning, he may be calling out to you this morning. And guess what? When he calls out to you, he calls you by your name. He already knows your name. The scripture says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew you since the beginning of creation. He knew the trouble you would find right yourself in right now. He knew the marriage and the relationship you'd be in right now. He knew the ways that you would make a giant mess of your life. He knew maybe about even the divorce and the alcohol and the drugs and the porn addiction. He knew about the disloyalty in your family. He knew about the pain and the strife. He knew about the dysfunction that you would encounter in your life and your family. And he still wants you. He still wants you. And he's proven that to all of us by sending Jesus to earth to live the life that we could not live. It was a life without sin is what the Bible says. And then Jesus went to the cross on our, in our place, taking the punishment for the sin that we've committed because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus took that punishment for you and I. He's the perfect sacrifice. Three days later, Jesus was raised from the grave to life, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And listen, today you might be here, and you know Jesus as your life coach. You know Jesus as a religious superstar. You know Jesus as your taskmaster. You know Jesus as morality. You know Jesus as pseudo-Christianity. But listen, you need to know Jesus as the true living Son of God, okay? And he's calling out to you today. It's for some of you in here, I get this sense that, listen, this is just what I'm hearing right now, is that you've grown up with your parents' faith, and now it's time to make it your own faith. I don't know who that's for. If it's for one or two people, I just feel like the Lord is saying, for one or two people in here, you grew up with your mom, with your parents' faith, but it was never your faith. And it's still your parents' faith. You haven't made it your own yet. You know God as a religion. But the reason it hasn't changed your life is because you don't know him personally. And right now, listen, he's calling out to you. He's calling you by his name. He's saying, son, daughter, draw near to me. I want to be in a relationship with you. Yes, you. Yes, I know about your hang-ups. Yes, I know about how inadequate you are. Yes, I know how flawed you are. Yes, and I've given a solution for all that, and his name is Jesus. He's calling out to you today. Listen, this is a big deal for some of you because for some of you, this is the first time you feel like you heard the voice of God, the audible, like the, the still small voice of God in your heart. This is the first time in your entire life you heard his voice, and, and if you hear his voice, don't deafen your ears. Don't let your heart become hard. Don't walk away through the doors because there's breakfast or lunch waiting for you and you got to get somewhere. Don't, don't leave because your boyfriend or girlfriend is not going to know what to think of you anymore. If you hear the voice of God, listen, respond in faith. Respond in faith. And for some of you this morning, the way that you might respond is this, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you lived a sinless life. I believe you were crucified in my place. I believe that you died in my place and three days later you were rose to life. I believe you are coming again. Jesus, forgive me for I've sinned greatly. I want to follow you. Make me in a new, a new creation. 
That's how you can respond to faith, by faith today. And I want to just give you that opportunity. Number two, God responds. <laughs> so he invites, but then he responds. So when you respond, he responds. So if you're here and you're already a believer, praise God for that. That's amazing. I praise God for you. I thank you so much for being here this morning. But God responds to your prayers. James 5, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. So God responds to you. God moves on behalf of your prayers. Listen, Jesus tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock. And the rendering in, in the grammatical text, in the Greek text, literally is to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That's the way we can literally read that text there. God responds to your prayers. They make a difference. They make a difference in this lifetime. I promise you they make a difference. God invites and God responds. God invites. He's inviting you today in your response. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, that you are a personal God and that we can know you, Lord. We can know you. You're not just this pie in the sky idea. God, you weren't just a good teacher, a prophet. Lord, you are Lord, Master. You are Yahweh. It's your covenant name. You shared your name with us because you want us to know you. You want us to be in deep relationship with you, God. And some of us have some of us have been scarred so much by religion and religiosity and the faith of our parents, Lord. But that's not a crutch, God. That's not an excuse, Lord. It should drive us to continue to pursue you, Lord to find healing in who you are. And we want to know you, God. Today, would you reveal yourself to your sons and daughters? Would you reveal yourself, Lord, as I prophetically said to maybe one or two people in here where for their whole life it's been about their parents' faith or they just come to church because their mom and dad want them to come, Lord, or you know, they just saw grandma doing it and that's the only reason they're here today, God. I pray that that young man or that young woman would turn to you in repentance and faith, God, and say, Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sins. Come and change my heart. Come make me new. Let me be a new creation. We want to know you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you respond to us when we pray, Lord, and that our prayers today make a difference, God. We can ask, we can seek, we can knock. Lord, that's our prayer today, that we know you, Lord. And we thank you for this message. We thank you for how you're touching lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Let's clap our hands for Jesus.